It is good to sing his praise, to hear his word. We hear the voice of God. We hear the giving of the perfect law of God from Exodus chapter 20 this morning. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. It is the ten-part summary of the law of God. There is much more to say about the law. Sometimes we speak about the Mosaic law from the law from Moses, the law revealed throughout the first five books of the Bible, and we'll be uh, looking uh, tonight at Deuteronomy 21. We'll be thinking about the death penalties in the law. We'll be thinking about the curses of the law this evening. And we have not only then the the ten-part law, we have not only the, the, the law as it's revealed throughout the first books of the Bible, we have also the, the two-part summary of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God is perfect in his holiness, in his will, and what he has so plainly revealed to us. Let us come before God in a prayer of confession this morning. Lord God Almighty, as the congregation said of old, cursed is everyone who does not do all that is written in the book of your law. And Lord, we know that the curse of disobedience is upon each and every one of us apart from you. And whoever stumbles 
in one point is guilty of all. We cannot fulfill the perfect demands of your holiness. So, Lord, we come before you as sinners. And we come pleading forgiveness. For you are perfectly holy and you are also the one who provides forgiveness of sins. So, O Lord, redeem us, purchase us, restore us. This we pray in the name of the only righteous one, Jesus Christ. Amen. Certainly the Psalms express our pleading forgiveness. Let's turn to 31b from the 31st Psalm. Let's sing stanzas 1 to 4 of 31b. chapter 2 is our assurance of pardon this morning. And we'll begin reading Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. A few verses earlier in verses 4 and 5, but God being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Brothers and sisters, uh, tonight we, we dig into what is, what is, our, what is our sin, what is our, our death in sin, our curse in sin, what is our salvation. That is, uh, that is uh, the great truth that we dive into even as it's revealed in the language of curses in the Old Testament. We are cursed, we are delivered from the curse of sin by grace, by the work of Jesus Christ. Now our focus this morning, we have a text that says all kinds of things to us about service. It says all kinds of, of things to us about what God requires of us. Our focus this morning will be on service. What is Ephesians 2 verses 9 and 10? Not a result of works. We're not saved by works so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As this has been summarized, we are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. Brothers and sisters, we're going to, we're going to be looking at that for good works, especially this morning uh, when we'll come to 1 Timothy 5. There is uh, much language there about the service that God requires of us, His people. But we get there because of the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. We are sinners saved by grace. This is true uh, in all the different places that God may lead us on this earth. We're going to be um, coming to the Lord now in prayer and uh, we're, thinking about, uh, we're thinking about travel uh, quite a bit in our congregational prayer this morning. We're thinking of uh, Megan Vandenberg who is now in California and now uh, her membership now at First Chino there in Chino, California. We'll think also of other members who are uh, uh, separated from us by, by distance at this time. Thomas Koyman, his, uh, his seasonal labors. Andre Boonstra as he uh, continues to study and work abroad. Uh, Francois Moussinera in Europe again for the summer. And then uh, James Vandenberg heading out again for school uh, later this week. And uh, so this will be uh, the travels of, of our congregation as part of our prayer as we come now in congregational prayer before our God. Our Father in heaven, praise to your name. Praise to your name from all creatures, from all creatures that you have made in this your visible realm. Father, may the creatures of the sea, may the creatures of the earth, may we see how, how you made them, how they speak to your power and your majesty. May we see how the creation landscape itself speaks of your power and of your majesty. All the mountains and hills, all the fruitful trees and cedars, everything upon this earth, all of it pointing us back to you, the only creator of all things, the king of all the earth, and certainly, O oh Lord, you are the king of people, 
You are the king of all those made in your image, all of those who are called to worship you in a way that trees and beasts cannot. You are the king of kings. You are the maker of men and women, old and young. May all give praise to your name. It is your majesty which is above all the earth. It is your majesty which is also above all of the heavens, even the heavenly realm, that which is invisible to us. You made the sun and the moon and the stars, those things which, which we can see, and you made the, you made the highest heaven. You made also the, the creatures who we cannot see. You made the angels and all of your host. May all of them give praise to you in heaven and on earth. Your name is the name which is alone exalted and worthy of praise. So, Lord, we know that the angels do sing holy, holy, holy to your name. May we sing holy, holy, holy to your name and praise you and worship you. And Lord, as you are the maker and the one worthy of worship in all the heavens and all the earth, uh, we pray that you would be with us here in Wapan. We pray that we would praise you, worship you here, even this very morning. We pray also that you would be with all of our uh, congregation, wherever they are. We pray that you would be with uh, Francois as he is uh, once again in in Europe and and seeing family over the summer. Uh, Be with him there. Bring him uh, before you in all places where he finds himself. Be, O Lord, with uh, Thomas uh, Coyman and his uh, his seasonal labors in the heartland. Be with uh, Andre uh, Boonstra and and his uh, life in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Be with his studies and his labors there. And be, O Lord, uh, with uh, Megan Vandenberg as she has... Uh, now uh, established in California and uh, part of a new church family there. Bless her at First Chino URC. And may uh, the sister congregation there be a blessing to Megan and establish her as she uh, begins her, her work now as a teacher in California. Lord, be with her. We pray also, O Lord, for uh, James Vandenberg as he Uh, is uh, heading uh, back to school for another season. Lord, be with him, uh, establish him, uh, and uh, grant him uh, another year of of study, all for your honor and glory. And whatever whatever it is that we study and whatever it is that we labor, O Lord, teach us to labor, to learn for you. Uh, Teach us what it is to live for you in all areas of our life in whatever work that you have given to us establish the work of our hands and make it to be work done for you and to you. Oh Lord, this, uh, this includes uh, labors in the home. Be with our uh, homemakers. Be with uh, mothers in our uh, congregation. And uh, then as we pray for families, we think of uh, little ones on the way. We pray especially for um, baby Karsten and then for uh, baby Palsma. We, we pray that uh, very soon, uh, there would be uh, a healthy uh, baby Palsma and uh, be with Clay and, and Bree and that little one and, and uh, 
and uh, Bren uh, waiting, awaiting a, a new sibling. Oh, Lord, uh, we, we pray that uh, we would hear uh, good news there very soon and be with them in a special way uh, in these coming days. And now, O oh Lord, uh, young and old, men and women, uh, bring us before your very word. Open up your holy word to us this morning. Uh, teach us, guide us, direct us. Bring our eyes to you. Bring our heart to you. This, O oh Lord, is our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let's uh, turn uh, then to 68A. 68A. And uh, we'll also, again, be keeping uh, Gretchen in our prayers. I almost always have one sticky note for prayer on Sunday morning. This morning I had two. And uh, so we'll be keeping Gretchen again in our prayers, the passing of her uh, brother Bob. Uh, but now we, we come to our uh, song of preparation, and that is 68A. We're going to sing stanzas 1, 3, 8, and 12. 1, 3, 8, and 12 of 68A. Let's stand together to sing.
Amen. Amen. Please turn then to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're we'll looking at verses 9 to 16. That's page 1264 in the blue ESV Bibles. As you're turning there, I'm just going to make a couple of comments about Psalm 68. First of all, it's one of the many psalms which speaks about the truth that wickedness is under God's ire. That's uh, the language at the end of the, the first stanza, which comes from the second verse of Psalm 68. And God is not pleased uh, with wickedness. And that relates to our text. Our text speaks to God's high standards. God has much that he calls from his people for faithful service. And then another, uh, one more thing, is uh, we sang from uh, the third stanza, taking language from verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 68, and uh, God has a special care for his widows, uh, for uh, the fatherless and the widows in distress. God gives a special measure of, of his grace And it mentions there one of the trials of widowhood, which is loneliness. Uh, That is is, uh, not the focus of the trial of widows. The the focus on the trial of widows in 1 Timothy 5 is their their financial distress, their need for for basic necessities and care. Uh, But we know that there are many ways that God gives special care to the uh, elderly. But as we're before we even read, I'm going to say, brothers and sisters, we're going to read about these very specific situations. How do we care for the widows in the church at Ephesus? The directions from the Apostle Paul to young Timothy. But it is very much a language that gives principles uh, that informs each and every one of us in every stage of our life. And, uh, and it speaks to us about the requirements that God has for all of his people. So let us read 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning at verse 9. We'll read to verse 16. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busy bodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So far the reading of the Holy Word of God. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what should the church do 
if a person contacts the church and asks for support. And uh, usually today, if that happens, it's a request for some kind of financial support. Uh, church, uh, you're a church. How can you uh, can you help me, please? Can I have some uh, financial assistance? That kind of a thing. Well, that question relates to part of what is going on here in the Apostles' letter to Timothy. It's addressed especially about those who would most commonly be in a situation of distress. Widows in the first century especially faced a very difficult situation, not just, not just in terms of regular trials of old age, we might say, but financially. It was a very difficult time to be a widow. But our text says more to us than just some practical answers about that kind of question. As the apostle gives Timothy directions about who should receive aid, who could receive a pledge for continued support from the church, and these kinds of things, we see principles that speak to us about the faithful living of any member of Christ's church. And so we we come to this Text and we see the practical advice of the Apostle Paul addressing a specific situation but giving us principles, brothers and sisters, uh, which impact each and every one of us, which speaks to each and every one of us. And so we're considering this text with this theme this morning. We should meet needs with wise generosity. We should fight temptations with sober diligence. And we'll see especially that language about fighting temptations in our third uh, point. And throughout, we'll see this this call to meet needs with wise uh, generosity. So uh, first, we're going to say, what is the widow's role? What is this widow's role? And then who should be on the widow's role? And then who should not be on the widow's role? Those are our three points for those uh, taking notes. Well, we begin with this with this broad question: What is this widow's role? And first of all, let's simply say this: Timothy knew exactly what this widow's role was. When the Apostle Paul is giving these instructions uh, through Timothy to the church in Ephesus, as soon as the Apostle Paul says widow's role, Timothy is thinking of the widow's role in the church. He, he knows exactly what it is, and so he's receiving further instructions for something he already knows about. Uh, We do not know exactly what this widow's role is. We we have enough uh, details here uh, to make a good guess, I will say. Uh, Before I I give the definition of what the widow's role is, this is something where uh, there's not complete agreement. Uh, There's some different ideas. What What do the hints point us towards? But my definition is also a fairly common one. Uh, and so uh, what do we have when we, when we take the details that we do have and put them together? What is this widow's role? Probably this widow's role was a list for widows in the church who received a pledge of continued support from the church. You're on the roll. You're on the list. You're going to get continued support, including financial support, from the church. You're a widow in distress. You're a true widow. Verse 16, you don't have any family to take care of you. The church family 
is is the ones who have who have to take care of you. So the widow's role is probably a list of women in the church who have a pledge from the church of continued support. And at the same time, uh, there was uh, an expectation, this is implied especially in verse 13, that the widows on this roll would be women who not only had a reputation for good works, verse 10, but who would be continuing in good works as they were able. So here, it's a pledge that you're going to receive support from the church, and there's a certain expectation that the widows on this roll are going to be involved in a good works acts of mercy for and in the church family. Okay, so with this in mind, now let's look at the beginning of verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled, let a widow be put onto this role, this list, this widow's list, if she is not less than 60 years of age. Why? Why something so specific? Well, in the first century, again, this is instructions to Timothy for the, the church in first century Ephesus. That was, that was the age, the culturally recognized age at, upon which you were uh, considered elderly. I don't think they had like shops with signs that said, you know, senior citizen rates or anything like that. But if they did, 60 was the age. You were considered elderly when you reached 60 years of age in the first century. And then let's let's think about a couple of other factors, brothers and sisters. Why would the church need a list of widows in financial distress who need support from the church? Well, for one thing, there were far more poor people in the first century. It, it did not matter uh, what you did, how you tried to save money. There were far more people in the first century Ephesus than in 21st century United States who would not be able to save up money whatever they did, however responsible they were. Uh, also, there's just no such thing as life insurance. It just didn't exist in those days. And uh, if we just give one more factor, uh, if you were a 60-year-old woman today and you're relatively healthy, you can probably find some kind of work to do. There's job opportunities. In first century Ephesus, if you are a woman, it's going to be hard for you to find a job opportunity no matter what your age. And if you're over 60 years of age and, and you want to try to find work, that's going to be basically impossible. So all of that to say, uh, the church in first century Ephesus needed a list like this. There would have been a number of women who were over 60 years of age, who were widows, who needed support from the church. They were, they were destitute. Now, what's, what's the principle? What's the principle well, while that situation might not be as common today, it can still happen that someone can be destitute. Someone can be in need of support, including financial support from the church. And when that need is there, and when it is a true widow, verse 16, the language of verse 16, when it's a true member, because this principle applies beyond widows, the church should support those who need support. 
And the, the, the idea is that there's a list. You're on this list. You're going to continue to receive support from the church. And then we might say, well, why, why, why is there need to be a list? Why do you need to have a pledge for continued support from the church? Isn't support for today enough? Why does it matter what happens next year? Well, brothers and sisters, let's just step back and think about plans for a minute. Please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. And as you're turning to Proverbs 21, I'm going to mention James chapter 4. And I'll just say, we're not, we're not going to read the text, but James 4 speaks about how we should not trust in our earthly plans. If any one of us trusts in our earthly plans, uh, that, is, uh, that is a sin. But does that mean we should never have any kind of earthly plan, including financial plans? Listen to Proverbs 21, verse 5, and how it uses the language of plan, and it's in a the context of financial language, abundance, poverty. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. This is a proverb. It's a general rule. It's not an absolute rule. But brothers and sisters, it is not evil to have a plan. And if a widow is destitute, the church can tell her, not only are we going to help you today, the church may even put her on a roll and say, we have a plan to help you for the future as we are able. So not only are you supported for today, you're supported tomorrow and you're supported next year until you until you die, until the Lord takes you home. We should never trust in earthly plans, but having earthly plans is not an evil thing. And it is, uh, it is no holy thing to neglect earthly welfare or to think that, that we should never think about planning ahead, putting, putting widows on a list and saying, you, you are going to be cared for. This is, this is appropriate. This is... Uh, this is part of the real care of the church. What is the primary concern that any widow should have? Or what is her only comfort in life and in death? What is the, what is the hope of your eternal soul? That I belong to Jesus Christ. That should be the only final comfort in life and in death. But if a widow says, I am destitute. What is my food going to be today, tomorrow, and next year? The church has a primary calling to care for souls, but the church has a place to care for earthly needs as well. The church has a place to care for earthly needs as well. It should be met wisely, uh, but they should be met in a real way. Here is a widow's list. These are members in the church who will be cared for by the church. But then we ask, do you put just anybody on the roll, do you, does, the, does the church commit to care for just anyone? No, it does not. Point two, who should be on the widow's roll? Well, first of all, uh, there's only a pledge for, co- for continued support if she's of a certain age. But then, brothers and sisters, look at the rest of the list in verses 9 to verse 10. And I want each and every one of us to be challenged by this list, whether you're a widow, whether you are young or old, man or woman. 
Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. And we're going to speak more about who should not be on the list in our third point. But let's give a hypothetical situation right here. 70-year-old woman walks up to the church. She's destitute. She has no one to care for her. And she says, "Um, I heard from my neighbor that you have a widow's list and that you have have widows that that you care for and and you've pledged to give them even even financial support. They're, They're supported. I would like to be supported. I do not confess the name of Jesus Christ. I do not even pretend to be faithfully following Him and serving Him. But I would appreciate support too. What should the church say? Is the church cruel? The church says no. Jesus said in Mark chapter 14, the poor will always be with you. We cannot solve world poverty. We are called to wise wise generosity. We should care for those in need. But we have spheres where we should see our primary responsibilities. And if there's someone who doesn't even pretend to confess the name of Christ, if there's someone who even just openly admits, yeah, I don't even try to be faithful to God. I would just like some support like my neighbors receiving. The church has every right and should say, no, we cannot commit to your continued support. And again, this is given in the context of widows because that was, I mean, that was the common situation where widows of that age would be destitute in the first century. But this principle applies and it's really not such a hypothetical situation. People call up the church and say, "Hey, can I can I receive some care?" You know, you're the church. You should, you know, you're called to be you know, full of mercy. And well, that's true. We're called to be full of mercy, but but we do not have the same responsibility to every single person. And the church has every right to say, if you do not confess the name of Christ and have a reputation for seeking to serve Him, we cannot put you on the list. We cannot assist you in the same way. Now you say, what, what does the church say? You know, so let's, let's just focus on one thing. That she should have a reputation for a faithful sexual ethic. How does it say that? At the end of, end of verse 9, having been the wife of one husband. Well, what if there is? What if, you know, does the church not say anything to a woman who's, who's, uh, who's not in that category? Well, we can't say everything in every sermon, so we're only going to talk about this briefly. But I'm going to give you one example. What do you do if a woman comes and she's a seven-man woman? What if she has had seven husbands and the man that she is with now is not her husband? What does the church say to her? We don't. It's not that we say nothing. It's not that we ignore her. We share the gospel with her. And maybe you even know what situation I'm thinking of. Who is the woman who has seven husbands? John chapter 4, it's the Samaritan woman at the well. And what does Jesus say to her? Does he ignore her? Does he say, you're a sinner, I can't speak to you? No, he says, 
He says, I am the one who gives living water. In me, you can find forgiveness and salvation. Worship me in spirit and in truth. He preaches the gospel to her and he calls her to repent. And so that's, that's, what, we, that's what we do to those who are not professing Christ, who are not living the Christian life. We, we proclaim the gospel. But as a general rule, uh, the church should only put on the widow's role those who have professed the name of Christ and lived out faithfulness. And look at that list again. A faithful sexual ethic, a reputation for good works, where, especially in the home, bringing up children, and especially in the, in the sphere of the church family, she has washed the feet of the saints. Now, there's broad language about, about that she's been devoted to every good work wherever she is able, but notice the particular and explicit uh, focus is has she been a faithful in the sphere of her family? Has she been faithful in the church family? And now... Now, let's, let's take away the specific situation of widows and the specific instructions to widows. And I'm going to ask each and every one of you, are you faithful in the sphere of your family? Are you faithful in the sphere of your church family? And are you devoted to every good work as you are able? Because this is addressing a specific situation of widows but finally, this is what God wants each and every one of us to do. And Satan doesn't care how you get out of whack. If you say the family is the only thing that matters, Satan is content with that. If you say my church family is the only thing that matters and I don't have to care for members of my family, Satan is content with that. If you say, well... Here's about my family and my church family. I'm devoted to every good work seven days of the week. Satan is content with that. See the challenge of this verse, not just for widows, but for everyone. God calls us to be faithful in all areas of life with specific and special reference to our family life, which for the widows, right, that means that she raise up children, but for, for fathers, it would be a little bit different. For singles, it would be a little bit different. But we all have some kind of family sphere. We're all called to be faithful. Even willing to do humble tasks like washing the feet for the saints. In other words, you know, we, does that mean that we need to wash each other's feet today? Well, we have shoes and paved roads and paved sidewalks. But that was one very tangible way that you could do a humble task to serve others in the ancient church. They, they walked around in sandals. They walked around in dusty roads. Did you wash the feet of the saints? Were you willing to do even humble tasks in your hosp hospitality to others? And the saints are specifically referenced because God calls us to faithfulness in all of these areas of life. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. What is salvation? Salvation is the gift of God's grace. 
We are sinners saved by Christ. We must confess our sins and look to Christ. We are called to faithful service. And we should not neglect the fact that we are called to faithful service. Christ certainly does not neglect the fact that we are called to faithful service. After speaking about the fact that some demonstrate good fruits and some do not show good fruits. That's that's chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. Let's read just the last three verses there, starting at verse 18. Matthew 7, verse 18. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. What if, uh, what if that, that hypothetical 70-year-old uh, widow says, no, I do confess the name of Christ. And the church says, well, we see no good fruit in your life. Is the church being cruel? It denies, denies her service, denies putting her on a widow's list? No. There, there needs to be good fruit. Verse 19, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21, Is it enough to confess the name of Christ? Or must we show that is a faithful confession, that we serve Christ? Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Oh, we must confess the name of Christ and confessing Him. We must serve Him. And the church has every right to say, you don't confess the name of Christ, we can't give you special care. The church has every right to say, you confess the name of Christ, but you're... You have, you have no evidence, no reputation. There, there's only bad fruit. There's no good fruit. The church is not being judgmental. The, the church is following the pattern of, of Christ and saying, if there, is, if there is no fruit, then we cannot serve you in the same way. We cannot call you a, a faithful and true widow. And again, it's an application for each and every one of us. We take it outside of the realm of widows and we say, are, are you a faithful servant? You confess the name of Christ. Well, yes and amen. We must do that. And we're also called to faithfully serve as those who confess His name. We must both trust Jesus as our Savior and serve Jesus as our Lord. So then, our third point, who should not be on the widow's roll? And let's look at, let's look at verse 11 and remember the, the, the definition of the widow's roll that, that we've given. And we'll just start by looking at just that first phrase, but refuse to enroll younger widows. Now, that's a blanket statement. It's going to go on to give some specifics that we're going to look at in a minute, but it's just a blanket statement. Don't enroll younger widows. And let's give, a, let's give another hypothetical situation to, to help us work this out. Let's say that a, a widow in her uh, 30s comes to the church and asks to be on the widow's roll, asks to receive a continued pledge for support. Well, her situation is too temporary. It's not wise. Uh, the, in, in, uh, in a year, maybe the Lord will provide for her a, a godly husband and she'll be provided for in that way. She doesn't need a pledge for continued support from the church. 
or maybe uh, her children will uh, reach a point where, where she can find some work. It was very difficult in the first century, but it was possible for younger widows to sometimes find work. And maybe she'll be able to essentially breadwin and support herself to some degree. The church, uh, the church cannot pledge continued support in the same way to a younger widow as it can to an older widow. There's, there's practical reasons why this widow's list should not have younger widows. There's also reasons related to the fact that a young widow is in a particularly distressing situation where she's going to have specific temptations to sin. And that's where verse 11 continues into verse 12. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Now maybe you're saying, wait a second, in verse 14, the apostle encourages younger widows to marry. Verses 11 and 12, he says that if they do marry, they're showing that they've abandoned the faith. What is, what is going on here? Well, let's turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's not too, too many pages back. Well, you, we'd have to go through a few books. But back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. And we're really reading just the second half of that verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39b. Oh, we can read the whole verse. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Now, the, the Bible doesn't even have to say that every time. Genesis 1 and 2 establish what is, what is the pattern for marriage. One man and one woman. Does it say that every single time that marriage is referenced to the rest of the Bible? No, it's just assumed. There's another thing that's assumed about faithful marriage that's going to be between two believers. She's free to marry only in the Lord. And so now we go back to our text in 1 Timothy 5. How can the apostle say uh, she can't be married, verse 11 and 12? She's abandoning the faith if she does. And then verse 14, encourage her to marry. Well, we, we, just, we, we just fill in the blank with what's assumed. She must marry in the Lord. But as a young widow, she's going to face a particular temptation not to do that. Because you know what? It's not easy to have to receive support from the church. It's not easy to, to have to live on the support of others. And it's not easy to be a young widow, especially in the first century Ephesus, where it was going to be almost impossible for you to find your own work and all of those things. And so there is going to be a temptation to say, my marital status is so important that I'm going to put that above my commitment to Christ and I'm going to marry anyone who comes along whether they are a believer or not. I don't care about being married in the Lord. I don't care about being faithful to the Lord. My first commitment is that my own marital status be what I want it to be. 
Now, congregation, does this apply only to young widows? In big life decisions, like who you marry, the young widow faces an especially distressing situation. Right? She says, "Why? Well, I, I just really need to be married. My my children need a father. I need a husband." But can't anyone put their marital status above their commitment to Christ? And say it's so important for me to be married that I, I can I can just marry anyone, right? Look at verse 15. For some have already strayed after Satan. This was not a hypothetical situation for Paul and Timothy. Timothy when Paul said that, would have known names of women in the church who had strayed after Satan and proved that their commitment to their own family situation, to their own marital status, was more important than their commitment to Christ. And brothers and sisters, it is not always a hypothetical situation. Let me give one example. I could go across the lake and I could sit in the living room of some dear Christian friends in the state of Michigan and I could read this verse. And I could read to verse 15, for some have already strayed after Satan and we would not have to say any names. We would know the name. And what is it? It's two couples in the church who are dear friends who have been members of the same church for decades and done many things together and the husband of, of one of the couples dies and leaves, leaves the, the woman as a relatively young widow. And then a couple of years later, a man comes along and he's married. But it's so hard to be alone. So I'm going to begin a relationship with him anyway. And the Christian friends say, Sister, what are you doing? To which the response is, Well, do you want me to be alone the rest of my life? Don't you know all that I've been through? Why are you so judgmental? God requires that His people be faithful in big life decisions. And that is not just something that applies to young widows. Even though they have a distressing situation, even though the temptation may be more difficult for them, this does not apply only to young widows. Now, verse 13, we're going to talk about that for a little bit. Besides, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house. Not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they ought not to say. Now, what if, how, how can we summarize that verse? There's not only a temptation to make big life decisions 
based on our own commitments instead of Christ's commitments, there's also temptations to day-by-day living in our own way. The, the implication here in verse 13 is that to be on the widow's list, there's, there's an expectation that you're going to be continuing in acts of service. You're going to be going from house to house, perhaps like Titus 2, the older women encouraging the younger women in the faith. You're going to be involved in acts of mercy. And so you have a certain responsibility. It's not, it's not, it's not a paid labor. It's not some business exchange, but it's, I'm going to be involved in the acts of mercy. I'm going to go from house to house. I'm going to encourage. I'm going to perhaps bring the resources of the, of the church, like food, to, from house to house. That's, that's the kind of picture we have here. And the young widow is going to be tempted in a way the older widow is not to use that time, to use that going from house to house, and instead of using it for faithful work, instead of using it to be busy in the work of the Lord, she's going to be tempted to be a busy body. Why? Because we not only have big life decisions, but we also have day-to-day living that we're called to faithfulness in. And so if the Lord has, has spared you from making unfaithful big life decisions, like who you marry and other things like that, it doesn't mean that, that you've got everything covered. You're also called to be faithful in the day-to-day living. What are you doing from day to day? And so now we step back and we put it all together. And what are, what are the principles about the woman who is a true widow, who is on the widow's role, and, and what are all these principles coming through the text? It speaks about being faithful in your family sphere. It speaks about being faithful in the sphere of the church. It speaks about being faithful in your big life decisions. It speaks about being faithful in your day-to-day living. And now I say, don't hear it only in these specific instructions for widows as as many principles and and helpful applications as as that itself brings to us as, as a church. Hear it in your own life. Are you faithful in the family sphere? Are you faithful in the church family sphere? Are you faithful in your big life decisions? Are you faithful to God in your day-to-day living? Confess the name of Christ and live out the good fruit that He calls you to. We are saved by Christ and equipped for good works by Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. The last words towards the end of of that that book of Hebrews. Speaking not only about salvation, but also about being equipped to do good, faithful service for God's kingdom. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. So may we be not only those who confess the name of Christ, but also those who are equipped in the family sphere, in the church family sphere, in our big decisions of life, in our day-to-day living. Let us be equipped as His servants all for His glory. All, finally, by His own work upon us. Amen. Let us pray.
our Father in heaven. May we serve you in our life.